Hello and welcome to Thriving in Intersectionality, a podcast created to help you learn from professionals in the workplace who have multiple intersectional identities, from ethnic minorities, veterans transitioning into the workforce, individuals with disabilities, parents, and so many more. My name is Lola Adeyemo. I am the CEO of EQI Mindset and the founder of the nonprofit Immigrants Incorporate Inc. I work with organizations to build inclusive workplaces. This podcast was built to amplify the voices of leaders and immigrants in the corporate workplace and to give insights and guidance so people can move past their barriers and advance in their professional careers. Through interviews and solo episodes, I'm going to examine this global world of work. I know that you can learn a thing or two from my guests who have a range of experiences and stories to share. Join me as we meet new people who are successfully navigating the corporate space. I am excited to share with you my conversation with Tari Suprapto. Tari is someone that I connected with on a completely separate level from a professional space. It was in wellness, um, and it's been just amazing to dive into this conversation with her and find out some of the similarities in industry first, uh, being STEM-based, but also we touched on different topics around career development and our journey so far and strategies. Tari Soprapto, PhD, RTTP, is a seasoned technology commercialization professional in the life sciences. She is currently the director for search and evaluation for Western US and Canada for Novo Nordisk. And previously, she was also part of the external innovation team at Elanco. Tari has spent over 15 years commercializing innovations from world-class research institutions such as the Salk Institute, the Rockefeller University, and Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Tari has an extensive background and experience in licensing, building, and managing strategic alliances, and a strong scientific background in a variety of therapeutic areas evidenced by a PhD in cell biology from the Rockefeller University and is an honors BA holder from Swarthmore College. Tari is also a member of Biocom's Capital Development Committee and she serves on the boards of the Association for University Technology Managers, the San Diego Innovation Council, an official advisor to Founders Corner Venture Capital and CEO Circle in san diego sit back and enjoy this conversation and don't forget to rate review and share this podcast thank you are you a corporate professional who is an immigrant or a child of immigrant are you looking for a community of support to advance your corporate career immigrants incorporate iic is a nonprofit that is building a community for you Come and join us on Facebook. The Facebook group is Immigrants in Corporate. Belong and thrive in the workplace. See you there. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. My guest today is Tari. Tari and I, so an, an introduction of hers that I would 
connect with is that we met in the wellness and workout space. So I know that for a fact that she's a very active, takes care of our body, coached me, which you might have even forgotten, coached me some tips around self-care recently, but it's also nice because I think when we talk about the word intersectionality, sometimes it's overused and we don't go deep enough. Uh, it's nice to know that you know, we then connected with another background, which is kind of the STEM life science uh, industry. But Tari, it's nice to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm good, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. All right, so we're just going to dive right into it. Um, tell us a little bit more about Tari. Who is Tari Suprato? Did I call your last name right? It's uh, it's, it's Suprato with 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 two P's. And so, so the I'm question is. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, is, is who am I? Well, we sorry. Um, yeah, I introduced yourself. Um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a woman in, in, in the, in the business of, of the life sciences. Um, I thrive at that intersection of, of business and, and medicine and science. And my current capacity is working for a pharmaceutical company, but I've always loved science. And that's where I've sort of made my, uh, my career choices is to never be too far from it. But I also consider myself a little bit more of a Renaissance woman because I have diverse interests and passions. And again, one of those is how we met. Um, um, I'm also, you know, a mom of, of, of two girls. And so I've also learned a lot about work-life balance. And, you know, I have um, a life, life partner that I've been with for, for 25 years. So we've managed to make that work too. And but I can also emphasize, like, none of this was was accomplished without, you know, great effort, honesty, and um, and mutual understanding. And I think that's kind of how I've conducted myself. Did you miss out a part of your family when you were doing this? Are you missing somebody? What do you mean? You have somebody in your arms right now. Oh yes. <laughs> well, I'm I'm I, I I have skin children and I have fur children. So this is one of my my, my fur kids who just needs his mom right now. <laughs> I know. So nice to have you here. So um, I want to start this with career, career choices, career path. Um, you have a very interesting role and um, as a leader in, in the pharmaceutical biotech space, um, what was your background? How did you, did you know you were going to be here or how have you navigated your career changes so far? I think, like I said before, I've I've always loved science, and I think it starts from way back into early childhood. I'm both of my parents are are well educated and placed a lot of value in education. Uh, my father's physician, uh, my late mother was an academic. She was one of the first female PhDs in Indonesia and held a professorship at the University of Indonesia. And she was very passionate about teaching, very passionate about learning. And she always emphasized that education was one of those things that no one can ever take away from you. And so um, in my early childhood years, um, we lived in Washington, DC, where we have access to you know, many wonderful cultural facilities like the Smithsonian Museum, which is free of charge. And I was always drawn to the Museum of Natural History the animals, right? You know, the dioramas, right? Understanding the world. And I think that really has stayed with me to this day. That's probably one of my favorite museums to go to are the natural history museums. Of course, now then you add in all the other things I like, like modern art. And so those were all that. And then biology kind of became the, the subject matter in schools that 
I was always drawn to, right? Everything from taxonomy, animal behavior. Um, and then I stumbled across, and you'll laugh at this, um, uh, a book by, by, by Robin Cook, which was my first exposure to the idea of recombinant DNA and genetics, right? So, but it was told in a very sensationalist kind of way, like, ooh, mm -hmm. you know, medical crimes and whatnot. But then, you know, that's the very first time I read the word DNA. And then I just started picking up more and more books and on the matter. And that's how I decided um, as early as high school that, you know, I really kind of wanted to get more into the molecular side of, of biology. Um, and then that, that led to my choice of college. I chose a small liberal arts college that has, um, to this day, an excellent biology program. And, you know, and just kept on steering towards the small stuff, right? So I did a, an undergrad um, honors thesis in microbiology, and that helped me also get into, um, um, into a graduate program with, with an emphasis on, on molecular and cell biology. So, um, so I've never strayed from science. I've always stayed close to it. But um, midway through grad school, I had an epiphany, which is that I love the science. I just don't particularly care about doing it. I didn't like doing the same thing over and over again, yeah. right? The experiments, mm -hmm. right? And it, and I always say, it's like, it wasn't that I wasn't good at it. I just, it just didn't make me happy. I, I didn't wake right. up excited and, or enthusiastic about it. So I was like, okay, right. let me at least finish. Let me get my PhD. And I spent the, probably the last two years balancing between searching for who I was going to become next, as well as trying to finish up. So. Was that easy? Absolutely not. Was it worthwhile? Yes. And it taught me the value of self-reflection and being brutally honest with yourself, right? right? If something's not feeling right, you've got to ask yourself why, right? Once right. you can start to think about what those potential answers are, then that provides directionality for your next step, right? right. Um, and it was scary because at the time, there weren't a lot of established what we call what was back then called the alternative career path. It is now more and more commonplace, more and more open conversation about what can you do with a scientific degree, right? Master's, PhD, and so forth. Um, we're more open about it than we were, you know, right. twenty plus plus years ago when I was going through it. No, I I love I love you bringing the self reflection piece uh, about uh, it because I also had a similar experience in the middle of my master's in biotechnology and doing an independent study and being a teaching assistant in molecular biology lab and just thinking, I don't want to be running PCR reactions all day, every day. This, this is not going to be me. I want to be around people. Yeah. I want to walk around. People. I want to do the research once. I want to know how to do it. I want to get the results, um, but I'm not going to the, the repetition. I want to do it once and then I know how to do it and then I move on to something else. I'm interested in the results and the discovery and innovation but there's got to be more of a career that lets me blend the things that I enjoy. So um, I love that. Yeah, I mean, career path. It's, it's, I'm, I'm glad we have all these options and all these alternative career pathways. Um, but you, you, you talked about the industry piece of it. So you kind of stayed close to the science. How, how easy and challenging was that to stay within the industry but carve out something for yourself that really speaks to you? Right. So... One of the things that I did while I was in graduate school was that I actually did an internship in um, 
my, my university's technology transfer office. So that's where I got really exposed to the nitty gritty of what it takes to take an idea or an invention or an innovation from the laboratory bench into the marketplace and realizing that there's so many pieces that go into that, but at the core of it is, is that a nonprofit organization must partner with a for-profit organization in order to, to make and sell the product or service, right? Because nonprofit organizations, it's not within their scope to do that, right? The way that was explained to me was like, that's how we retain our tax exempt status because we're not conducting, you know, true for-profit endeavors, but you partner with someone right. who will essentially take it out of the, the, the campus, the lab, and then do what's needed in order to develop it for the marketplace. And what I very quickly learned was that therapeutics was, was, was my passion, right? If I had to pick out any particular field of, of innovations that really got me excited, it would be the idea of like, let's get, you know, some therapeutics, you know, you know, medicines out there. Um, and that is what does continue to fuel me. So I actually stayed in the academic nonprofit sector for 17 years, right? And oh, representing um, um, academic innovations, um, I, uh, you know, played a role and contributed to the, to, to the formation of a few startup companies, you know, spun, spinning them out of the university. Um, and I spent probably my last few years really setting up these strategic partnerships and research collaborations that not only brought in extramural funding into the research institution, but it also um, really helped um, solidify some, you know, you know, some nascent fields, you know, and bringing them to a little bit closer to um, to realization and and application in in the in the real world, which is really fulfilling for all parties that that are involved. Mm -hmm. And then what happened is I felt like I hit a glass ceiling at my my last nonprofit um, employer, which was like, you know, you would you know you're great and all, and you've got this great network and you have you know this deal sheet, but you spent no time actually in industry, you've never actually developed a drug. You don't, you, you don't understand the commercial piece of it. And at the time, universities and research institutions were recruiting at the senior levels, and I mean VPs, um, um, you know, vice chancellors and whatnot. They were looking for people that had spent time on the other side of the table, right? And bringing that quote unquote real world experience back into the campus. And so I decided, well, if that's the one thing that's holding me back, well, then I guess I got to go jump, right? And spend some time on the other side. And again, creating optionality for myself, right? I know right. I knew how to behave and do well in a nonprofit. But if I was going to advance further, then I should go to a for-profit, at least for a while. And I said, well, and if I like it, then I'll just stay, right? So again, and that's that something that I've all, I started to really live by was like, always create optionality for yourself because it's empowering it makes you feel more confident it doesn't make you know not feeling trapped not feeling helpless right. it makes a difference and it also influences very much how you put yourself out there right because then people are just like wow you can do a lot or like that was really brave of you all of this stuff is scary so you know so i made that transition right you, you know from a grad student from being you know very academic at the bench researcher to doing something very different. That was my first sort of like scary jump, if you want to call it that. Leap of faith, but I had, I had, I had support where it was needed. 
and then I would probably say my next big transition point was the decision to leave the nonprofit sector for, uh, for, for the for-profit. And that was not easy. It took me two years from the day I decided to make that change to the day I got my offer. And there were a lot of no's. They were like, oh, if only you had this. Oh, if only you had that. Mm. But one thing I will emphasize here, Lola, is that all, even the negative feedback was solely based on my skill set. It didn't have anything to do with this. Right? right. And right. so, and then what it took, and this is the benefit of building strong relationships, you know, that are, you know, and, and many of them, because I just happened to have a very casual conversation with a person that I was doing some projects with. And I said, am I like too old, too expensive? Am I, you know, I, I said, and I told, and he asked me, why are you asking me these questions? Right. <laughs> and I told him about this, the, this journey and these challenges. And he said, oh, I think you're looking at the wrong positions. Right. So I was looking at very transactional positions within the biotech and pharma industry. And he said, look, honestly, they tend to recruit young. They're looking for people with MBAs, people who have spent time in the big consulting right. firms. Right. He's like, there's just a certain profile that they look for. Right. And you don't fit that, even though you've done transactions, you've transacted with them, but you're not one of them in that regard from the skill set perspective. But he said, but you have the scientific background. You have an amazing network that you've built over 17 plus years. He's like, I'd welcome you into my group. And this was the concept of search and evaluation, searching for external innovations, building those relationships. He's like, you'd be fantastic in my group. I just don't have an opening for you right now. But That's I was like, great. okay, right? <laughs> but it just took that casual conversation. And again, the, the value of having someone that you are comfortable talking to and someone who's comfortable giving you that feedback right, right back, again, created yeah. an option that I hadn't really considered. I was like, oh, so then I can just really rely more on my scientific strengths versus anything else. Two months later, he called me and said, guess what? Someone in my group got promoted, moved to another department. And if you're interested, I have an opening. So an we opening. talked through some of the logistics. They was good enough of an arrangement um, that I, I applied and I was, I was successful. So, um, and that was how I transitioned into the pharmaceutical industry. That's and awesome. once you're in, you're in. <laughs> once you're in, you're in. But there's so many things I love about that story because I think it, it flows nicely into the next question that I'm going to ask. Um, that, that, tangible if leading leading in intersectionality right because sometimes we overemphasize as you said a little bit some things and it has nothing to do with that it has to do with understanding what the role requires and understanding your, yourself enough to know what you're looking for sometimes it's not as cut and dried as what is posted on linkedin or what is posted on indeed right you are coming in from a different perspective you have to try and get into the minds of the the hiring team, the work teams that you are looking at, what are they looking for? What are they prioritizing? And it reminds me of a conversation I had with um, somebody in the sales department at a biotech company that I used to work. And I was trying to refer somebody and they were declining this person. And I was able to, of course, help this person ask feedback, like why is this person not a good fit? And he said, oh, because this division, this is what we prioritize for this role. Now, this person is looking for these. This person will be better suited to apply the same title, different divisions of the same company. 
different requirements, right? So just being able to provide that feedback to the candidate was so helpful because otherwise they're just looking at it like, why was I denied? Because it's really about what the hiring manager and the team is looking for. Um, not, not necessarily the title, but so that brings me to my next question, which you, you started talking about it a little bit in terms for an early career to mid career professional, you know, somebody who five years in, seven years in, who maybe has similar educational background as you did. Um, what are some of the things they can be doing right now to prepare themselves to lead in, in industry, right? In different industries. Well, there's a lot of ways to, to answer that, that question, right? But so usually people that are at that, that part of their career, right, is mm -hmm. there's a couple of decisions that they need to make. And again, this is where just being very honest with yourself is, is, right. is important, right? Is do you want to continue to climb the ladder within your organization, right? That's one way to go. The other thing is, do I want to stay in this field? And and there's different organizations with with your field in an effort to be able to um, take more of an upward diagonal trajectory, right? To lead, when you're in an early to mid career professional and you're looking for le for a leadership position, you are basically looking up. But you can go straight up. That's right. where you stay within the organization, or you can take diagonally up. And sometimes the, incre the increments are often, you know, on the smaller side, right? You, you know, you do, it's, it's not often that you get to make big, big jumps. Um, and the other thing is, like, do you want to do a complete change, right? I've talked about the two big, big transition points. Do you want to go through a big transition point? Learn something completely new. Just as you say, you know, I didn't want to do PCR reactions over and over again. You have to evaluate what is it about my job that that makes me want to cause a change, either the, the internal promotion or go for, you know, uh, you know, for a, 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 a more senior position at a different organization, but still essentially doing the same thing. Right. There's value in that. Um, or do I want to just rejigger everything? And that's only that person can answer that question. Right. 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 Then once you've decided which way you're going to go then you then you can plan then you can figure out who right. do i need to talk to right if you for instance if you you see someone like let's just take example you know senior vp of business development at a major pharmaceutical company and you're like i want to do that great fabulous now how do you get there you need to talk to that person who you're admiring and people like her and and find out their stories, their journeys, and then their recommendations about what are the, the skill sets that you need to have. Do you already have them? Do you need to get them? Then you right. build your plan in a really tangible way. And always right. remember, it's never a straight shot. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. It takes it's a combination <laughs> of, of luck and timing. Um, it's often very circuitous. Um, and you just have to kind of go with it. Remember, job markets are dynamic. You know, with, with the right mindset, you have to have direction and focus, but also a certain amount of flexibility, right, so that you can roll with it. I think that's very, very important in order to progress through your, your career. So I might not be answering your question directly. Because... Oh, you did answer my question. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to give a very strong shout out to you, though, because I feel like, you just answered the question 
in a very clear way, like a coach will. Because a lot of times people think it's a one-shot answer. How do I become this? And they want you to tell them, you still need to start with yourself. Mm-hmm. And you need to think ahead, where am I looking towards, right? So I love the way you put it so clearly. So thank you. You're welcome. On a different conversation, which is around coaching, which I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you get just got some free coaching from Tari. Because that's really <laughs> what it is. It's the guidance that you learn to customize to yourself. You walk away with some tips. Now, people talk about mentors and finding a mentor. The benefit is that this person will be able to sit down with you also one-on-one and you can kind of mentor towards a certain path. The, the, the difference is you choose a mentor based on a certain skill. So if you haven't done that work to discover what you are looking for, you know, you won't be able to choose the right mentor based on um, the guidance you are looking for. So um, anything else you want to add sort of like for the early to mid career, what are some of the tools and strategies that um, they can leverage? Well, let's talk about mentoring a little bit more, right? Because to me, I have an assortment of mentors. Like if you looked at the circle of people that I call my mentors, they're all very different and they all serve very different purposes. You don't want a mentor that's only going to cheer you on. Yes. Mentors can help lift you up, but most of my mentors are simply like, they'll, they'll listen to me, vent, complain, whatever, right? No judgments, there's no conflict, no self-interest there. And then every single mentor of mine is like, okay, so now what are you gonna do about it? Right? right. Like, <laughs> like you've, had, you, you know, you've had your little temper tantrum, let's move on and think about how do we move pa- past this obstacle right right? and if it's a job change it's a job change right what i've really enjoyed about my mentors i mean i've had mentors amongst people that i've directly worked with right and some of my former bosses are still my my mentors and advisors to this day especially if i just sort of need uh, um, someone to reflect off of i have a number of mentors who do not look like you or me and i think it's fabulous because because sometimes it's like wow that person is your mentor like i would have never seen it i'm like why why not? Why shouldn't I have an older, you know, white American male mentor? Because that person can actually open a gazillion doors for me that I normally wouldn't have otherwise. And they chose me and I chose them because we actually got along as people. They wanted to see me succeed. They wanted me to be happy. Mentors want nothing the best for their mentees, but we have to be willing right. to deliver tough love. We have to be willing you know, I've had mentees where I, like, I'll get on the phone for 15 minutes and it's talking them off their ledge because they're just freaking out over something. Okay, let's calm you down and let's let's just get back to reality. But I have one mentor in particular that also gives me very strategic, nitty gritty career advice. Or like, I'll tell them, hey, listen, I'm, I'm looking at potentially working for this company or this company or this organization. And, and he'll just give me his unvarnished opinion. And I was like, great, fabulous pers- perspective. So I accumulate mentors along the way. And I've, I've had them from, from early on. Right? The, I would probably say there was one time I actually got to meet both my scientific mentor, the college professor that I did my honors undergrad thesis with, and in that same trip, I also got to see my mentor in the um, academic tech transfer space. And it was just like, okay, I'm just missing a few people, and then we will have the, 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 the full compliment. So yeah. it doesn't always have to be your role model, but if someone seems to take a very keen, generous interest in you, take it. Take it. Because 
they they can provide so many wonderful options and viewpoints. I love the distinction you make because I think a lot of times people make the mistake of thinking I have a mentor. That's my mentor. You can have a ton of them because each one can serve a different um, role and, and guide you in a different area. I remember when I was going to quit my corporate job, that final, final putting that notice, oh my gosh. Um, one of my mentors, she's a leader in operation. Um, and I remember taking a walk with her. Like I still vividly remember taking a walk and just stressing and talking. And, and she basically said, so what do you want to do? And I felt like, well, everything I just said, that's all you can ask me. And, and I said, I think I'm going to quit. And she said, good for you you will be fine. You will be just okay. And I knew that was coming because apparently I've been talking about this for, for, <laughs> for weeks with her. So I think sometimes, you know, and one of the things that I said was, I am scared. And she said, what's the worst that could happen is that you want to come back. And I know you are an absolutely great employee. I would recommend you. I would help you find a position if that's what you need at that time. But at this season, I think you need to do this. Right. And I was like, wow, you know, it's like if we had that relationship and she's familiar and she has that um, history with me to be able to listen and give me honest feedback and, and do a self-reflection. So I, I like that. I know there's usually the, the challenge of finding who, who is the right mentor. Um, so I also wanted to highlight what you said, that the first time I had a white male mentor, I didn't think I wanted a white male mentor. I was so resistant, but this mentor was recommended to me by another mentor slash sponsor of mine who said, oh, this is where, you know, this is what I think you're looking to do right now in terms of growth and development. This person would be perfect to be a mentor. And I remember struggling, like, why would you recommend a white male as a mentor? I knew why when the relationship started, because it was very different dynamics, different goals, but it was super um, impactful for both of us, right? So, um, yeah, that's definitely one of the tools. I'm glad you talked about that and having a host of people, of resources specifically around that. Um, so I think the other one I wanted to ask was from the perspective of leadership, right? So we talked about for early to mid-career professionals who are wanting to advance, what are some of the things they should leverage? Um, I think you mentioned a little bit about networking. Do you want to expand on that? networking as a skill in your early to me oh no, networking stage. is 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 definitely a skill for for some of us it it comes more naturally um but the, the, to me the art of networking is don't go into it with a transactional mindset right don't say i'm going to go to this party and see who's got a job for me <laughs> it is a complete turnoff especially as I progress in my career and I immediately see sort of like someone's approaching me with that transactional mindset. It's like, ugh, dude, I just want to relax. <laughs> and I can't relax, right? Because I, I know there's this ask. Networking is not about the ask. Networking is about genuinely being interested in other people, in forming relationships, in being able to initiate the first of what will hopefully be many conversations. Especially if you're going, if, if, if you're networking and you're meeting with someone who's, who's more senior, right? Um, that's why, you know, being cordial, being open, being inclusive is so, so, so important, right? Your body language, your tone of voice, your, 
enthusiasm. And it's not easy for everybody. So something that I take upon myself when I go into, into a networking event, right? And remember, the bigger the room and the more people mm -hmm. there are, the harder it can be. So first of all, for newbies, get yourself a networking buddy because you always feel a little bit more brave and a little bit more comfortable when there's someone you can go with, right? Back in memory, back in the college days, we would have our party buddy. It's kind of the same thing, right? It's also someone who's going to be like, check yourself, make sure you drink some water or, you know, or like someone who can also rescue you if you're like stuck in an awkward conversation. I've mastered the art of extricating myself quickly, but that took a while. No, it's, it's, it's a skill, right? So get, that, so get that networking buddy. Because often, as you're talking animatedly to your buddy, people get drawn to that energy. And all of a sudden, you'll find there's people hovering on the sides wanting to, to join you. You right. know what you do? You take a step back and you make the circle bigger. And it gets bigger and bigger, right? And then everyone's laughing, everyone's talking, everyone's exchanging cards, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's how I do it. Right, and that's how I did it when I first started. Now I'm a little bit farther along. I go to a lot of networking events where I already know a lot of people. I'll usually mean like go for someone I know, start talking to them, right? But then it's it is what it is. I've gone to a few events where I don't know anyone, and I'll do my best, and I'm like, all right, we can move on. Um, yeah. But you have to put yourself in a in a situation and a mindset that I'm here solely to meet people. And to have the mindset that every person you meet is potentially a super cool person that you want, want to hang out with afterwards. If you're disappointed at the end of the conversation, so be it. But at least you gave them that chance. I'll give you an example of something that I find particularly offensive when I'm at a networking event. You meet someone and then they're clearly disappointed th that it's you. Because they these are the people with the transactional mindset. Th these are people right. that are like, oh, that's what you do? Right. And then immediately they start looking over your head. I'm not no. a tall person, mm -hmm. so it's really e easy to look over my head. And when I see that, I'm like, that's not cool, man. I don't get angry. It's more of like, all right, that's really more of a reflection of who you are oh, I know. than mm -hmm. who I am. Right. But that's also why I try to be as welcoming as possible and not look at people for their rank and their position. To me, it's like, if you're cool and fun to talk to, I'll talk. Right. And, and even if you're kind of boring, I'm going to tolerate this probably for like a few minutes and then I'll step back graciously. And it's something as simple as like, hey, it was really great meeting you, but I see someone who's trying to get my attention. So, you know, have a great rest of the evening. Exactly. Ooh, that's, that's, I mean, I feel like we could do a networking session with you because there's like, <laughs> there's a skill set in all of that. It's not just getting yourself into the right conversation, but also taking yourself out of a conversation that is not serving any purpose. Because I think sometimes you go to a networking event where you're like in a space where you feel like, okay, this circle is so done. Like I'm done with this circle, but I don't know how to excuse myself. And then you stay there just because. No, when you're thinking, no, oh, I no. want to meet other people. I want to keep exploring. I want to keep connecting. Um, so that, that that's a good one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, like I said, the art of extricating yourself out graciously. And again, and I'm not promising I'm coming back. Don't ever do that. Because then, yeah, <laughs> I'll be right if back. If you don't show yeah, up, I mean, that poor person could be waiting you for forever. That's not fair to them either. I mean, okay. 
Oh my gosh. This was a lot of gems. Uh, I wanted to ask one other question though, because again, we're talking about intersectionality and and a lot of times that has to do with identity and underrepresented underrepresented identities in the workplace. So one of the things that when I was interviewing people for my book, I was telling you about is I started asking people questions. Initially, I would ask people questions. What are some things that you see as barriers to your growth as, you know, this person in the workplace or that person? But when, when I, it got a little bit depressing because everybody started talking about bad experiences and sad stories. But then I flipped the question. What are some ways that you think being who you are and what you bring to the table has helped you propel your career? And I, you know, I could see the way people's wheels started turning differently. It was like, you know what? I think I was successful in this career because of how I was brought up, because I had this flexibility, because I'm a parent and I learned to juggle things. So um, I want us to, talk, I want you to talk to us from that perspective. I feel like, again, we met in the physical, we met through a gym class. I didn't know anything about you except the fact that you are amazing and badass at kicking the bag. <laughs> this was a kicking, kickboxing class, by the way. I knew you were badass, but you also had a coaching personality out of you and a team sort of like bringing everybody together sharing um so i i just wanted to ask you if you were talking to people now who have maybe different underrepresented identities the color disability whatever that might look like um how are, what are some of the ways that you think that all of who you are have helped you in your career and maybe other people can explore the same about themselves one thing that that I that I received as feedback and as positive feedback from people that I've I've interacted with successfully is that they appreciate not being put on the defensive, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I look like, right? You know, as a woman of color, it's just obvious. So I don't come out with that. And what what this person said to me, and again, it was an older white male, he's like, it's so lovely that you don't play the woman card. You don't play the the woman of color card you don't play the victim card right and it's a lot about yeah do we are there certain dis- disadvantages that come from certain prejudices yeah i i mean i would be a fool to say like those don't exist but i can't let it shape me i can't let it influence and color the way that i conduct myself right and so i always kind of come out as a whole person another person told me um also an older white mouse like I've actually never even seen you like that. Like, I just know you as Tari and, and you're fun and you're smart to talk to, right? You know, I've, I've talked to people that are more senior to me and they're like, yeah, I remember the day I first met you and you were just very easy to talk to. And we talked about what we did with our respective, you know, you know quarantine times and pandemic. And you like really showed a photo of your dogs. And he's like, that's cool, right? And... I guess, you know, what I'm trying to get at is that focus on the positive. People nowadays, especially, are very drawn to authentic positivity. I mean, be aware that, yes, there's there's always going to be someone who's just not going to be cool with, with you for whatever reason. Yeah. How you look, how you talk, or just or jealousy. Just pure jealousy can color a whole interaction. But there's a lot of people out there that truly do mean well. And you're just going to have to trust into that. Right. Um, but projecting that positive energy, for me at least, it's worked very well. But it has to be authentic, right? I'm not just going to fake paint a smile, right? right? And right, um, right. 
but th- but people are very very drawn to that they want to work with that they want to have a person like that on their right. team and at right. that point it doesn't matter whether you're you know an, an underrepresented minority it doesn't matter whether you have a visible or invisible disability right yeah. it's 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 about projecting yourself as a desirable quantity and i once said this to to a younger set and it's like you know when you when you walk into a meeting right like a big conference room or whatnot pull up a seat at the table i was like you've been invited to that meeting which means you actually deserve that seat that you're taking right and and that's you know and one of my favorite phrases is like i'm going to come in and i'm going to claim my space you know, and I, 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 I leaned into that because as, as a smaller person, like of smaller stature, it can, you know, I could have been, been like, oh, well, you know, you don't look at me the same because I'm small. I'm like, now I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how, how big or how small I am. I mean, I'm saying like, my personality can fill a whole room if it needs to, right? But, but you deserve to be there. It's not entitlement, right? But if, you, but if you've been invited to that meeting, if you've been invited to that job interview, it means some someone saw something. So go there. I love it, and and and, and I think you also emphasized a couple of things at the beginning, which is some things are visible already; they already know. But remember, the first impression that you make is very memorable. You're talking about people giving you feedback on when I first met you. It doesn't matter what you try to do later. You know that first impression, how you show up authentically on the first meet. Is either going to pull people in or, or or push them away, right? And and you know it also tells them a, a lot about you. A lot of people make impressions, uh, make um, assertions about other people just from a first interaction, and sometimes that just gets stuck in their mind about that person, uh, even though you know they have a chance to over the course of the years get to know a little bit more about that person. So thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. You're welcome. Anything else you want to share before I ask my final fun question? <laughs> no, let's go into your final fun question. <laughs> okay, my final fun question is food, which is kind of weird <laughs> coming into a workplace inclusion podcast, but I like to end with a good laugh and maybe some food recipes, maybe because I like food. But if you were to share a favorite dish, meal, snack, or fruit with your coworkers, what would it be and why would you choose that? Okay. What I would want to share with 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 my coworkers is um, um, is is a dish from my country of origin, which is Indonesia. Truly good, authentic Indonesian food, for the most part, does not exist in restaurants. It tends to be home cooked. And actually, my wonderful husband, who is not Asian, has actually learned how to make one of our favorite dishes, which is a beef curry called renda but i actually taught him how to make it i just don't (laughs) want to make it all the time and our version is is something that i think is just really delicious and very close to to what i can get at home what my mom used to make for me and so that's a dish that i would share something that is representative of me my heritage um it's a recipe that you know how we make it is something that we will probably try to hand down through generations we've gotten our kids started to eat it which is good too. Um, that's good. But yeah, that's 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 what I would bring. Like this is this is the real stuff. Please to enjoy. All right. 
Well, thank you so much, Tari. It was so nice getting to know you in this context, in this space. I appreciate all the insights you brought into this conversation. And um, thank you for, you know, just bringing all of yourself and your authentic self to this space. I felt that. And I can readily agree with a lot of the things you said because I know it. I've been at the receiving end of meeting you and being in space uh, spaces with you. And I think we need more people doing that in the workplace. Um, so thank you for being here and hope you have a great day. I will be sharing Tari's connections and contacts if you want to connect with her. Thank you for, so much for being here. And please uh, share, review, post this podcast and I would love to hear from you all. Thank you. Thank you, Lola. Thank you for joining me, Lola Adeyemo, for these important conversations about the global world of work. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to share our weekly episodes with your communities and co-workers. For more resources and upcoming events, visit our website, www.thrivinginintersectionality.com and join our LinkedIn group, Thriving in Intersectionality. Additional links and resources are listed in the show notes of this episode. Thank you.